0: I hope you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter nine. Acts chapter nine is where we find ourselves here. We've been traveling through the book of Acts over the last several months, and we find ourselves here in Acts chapter nine. You'll find the book of Acts there in your New Testament. Uh, the Bible is divided in two halves: the Old Testament and the New half, and the New Testament. And uh, Acts is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. If you hit Romans, put it in reverse. Uh, And as you're turning there, just want to just say that it's been great having John from Alaska uh, joining with our church body over the last uh, five or six weeks. I know some of us, if you've participated in the in the potlucks and and some of the different activities, you've probably met John from Alaska, who is just passing through, who found us on the Internet and uh, was here for a bit and has really jumped right in and uh, he will be heading out, continuing his journey. Uh, on Tuesday but John just wanted to get let you know we, it's been a joy having you here and I trust that the Lord that you will continue to follow the Lord and uh, trust him as you go and uh, when you're if you're if you're passing back through on your way back to Alaska uh, make sure you stop in and see us so Acts chapter 9 is where we find ourselves here this morning and I'd like to just begin by asking uh, a couple questions as often is the case as I begin my sermons um, The question is this, who is that one person uh, whom you fear will never become a Christian? Who's that one person whose lifestyle or that long list of sins seems to be such a barrier, maybe an insurmountable barrier in your mind, that they will never bend their knee or surrender their life To God's grace for them. Think in your mind who's that one person who you know that just seems to constantly mock Christianity. Who's that one person that always seems to be that enemy of God. Who's that one person who maybe in your own heart you've kind of just you've written them off. You've said there like there's no way that person will ever trust in Jesus. As the Hearst family did so well this morning in their testimony, I think they helped us to see that one of the goals that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, in fact, probably one of the primary goals of our lives is witnessing. Right, And we're seeing this through the book of Acts. We're seeing how these believers, they witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. And what did they, they do? They went and they, they told people about it. They were about the business of witnessing. And we know that one of the goals of our witnessing is that people will change their mind. And believe in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. That's why we tell them these truths. That's why we give these books out by Lee Strobel. And that's why we, we hand out gospel pamphlets. That's why we take the time to sit and have coffee with our loved ones and with our family members and our friends. Because our hope is that our unsaved family members and friends will turn from their sin and that they will turn to Jesus Christ. I mean, we even are familiar with the words of Jesus Christ where, where we're told that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that we are invited... To be a part of this process because we believe that what we what we are are pausing to remember on Friday night. Good Friday. That on that dark day. The glory of God was starting to break through. And that Jesus by dying on that cross in our place taking on himself the penalty of our sin and then On the third day, believing that Sunday's coming on that third day, rising again from the grave and offering to us the forgiveness for our our every wrongdoing. Church, comprehend that. Think about that for a little bit. Every wrongdoing. That you've ever committed. That you ever will commit. Was paid for. On that cross of Calvary. What a relief. And by believing in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. That we are not only forgiven of our sin, but we're we're made right in our relationship with God. That 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 this longing that Joel and Carl and Talitha spoke about this this longing to belong. Ultimately, it's a it's a it's a longing to be reunited with our heavenly Father. And that that takes place there on the cross. And as we believe in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, that we're re- reconciled to God and we're, we're given eternal life. You see, we believe that the most loving thing in the world that we can do is to tell someone about Jesus. That's the most loving thing we can do. Is that we can, we can orient our entire life around that calling. To tell people about Jesus. See, without embarrassment, without shame, without hesitation, we should be daily. Attentive to these witnessing opportunities that God brings to us every day. The good news of Jesus' resurrection that we will celebrate one week from today, the good news of that should just roll off of our tongues so easily, so quickly. But you sit there, you say, well, what about those? What about those people who never that that I've convinced myself will never believe? Right. What about them? Right, what about those one or two or ten or twenty people that we know whose hearts just seem to be so hard toward the Lord? Right, maybe in your mind you thought of that co-worker who you've tried to share the gospel with and maybe they've threatened to turn you into HR if you tell them about Jesus one more time. Maybe as I asked those questions earlier, maybe Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's a grandson. Who, who, who's, who has rebelled against every truth. That they've been taught. Maybe it's a neighbor whose lifestyles. Maybe it's a, some neighbors whose lifestyles are contrary to God's created order. Or, and we have all of these, all of us have this person, right? Maybe it's that social media friend who constantly is posting those anti-Christian memes. (laughs) And we use the word social media friend loosely, don't we? Or maybe it's a, a classmate, students, children. Maybe it's a classmate or a college mate at school or in college who makes fun of you for going to church. Right? Who, who's, who are those people that maybe you've convinced yourself that God's grace is powerless in softening their hard heart? Well, this morning there is great hope. The title of this morning's ser- uh, sermon is hope for the hard-hearted because here we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9 and we are going to, we're going to learn of a man by the name of Saul, also known as Paul, and so I'll probably use those interchangeably, so forgive me uh, if I kind of switch back and forth. I'm not talking about two different people. It's the same guy. Uh, but we're going to look at Paul, who I think we can say without hesitation and that he probably had one of the hardest hearts of them all. And what do we see? We see God gets a hold of his life. And God changes his heart. And so what this is going to serve for us this morning is an an example of the fact that God is in the business of changing hearts. In fact, you see here in, in 1 Timothy, before we dip into chapter 9... In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this, and he's looking back on his life, right? This is is written later, after his conversion. But here's what he says. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy So that in me, Paul says, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as what? As an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says that that God uses his life, his conversion as as what as an example doesn't he he says like and and paul is not just waxing eloquence he's not this is not some sort of false humility when he says i'm the worst of sinners i believe it it seems like that that's probably very true that that paul says i was the worst of sinners my heart was the hardest of the hardened hearts And yet God's mercy was able to get a hold of my heart. Why? To serve as as an example. For those of us who have given up. On those whom we have deemed unconvertible. And so the big idea this morning, I give you a sneak peek of it a minute or two ago. Is this. Don't give up. Don't give up hope for the hard hearted sinner. Don't give up hope. For the hard hearted sinner, because here we have before us the Apostle Paul. Let's look here, there's three points this morning, and the first one is this, is that Paul was a fierce enemy of Christ, and I invite you to follow along with me as I read verses one through five. 1 through 5, here's what we have. Meanwhile, in verse 9, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, we we know that it was back in Acts chapter seven of a couple weeks ago when we when we learned about the martyrdom of Stephen, where Stephen was rejected by the world, but he was received by Jesus. We know that there at that at that stoning event that we get were first introduced to Saul, where the people there who were stoning Stephen, they placed their coats at the feet of Saul. We also know that the beginning of chapter eight that we Learned of last week that it was on that day a great persecution broke out and we we see how Saul began to destroy the church. We're told that Saul was going from house to house. He was dragging off both men and women and he was putting them in prison. We we understand then here in verse 1 where we're we're told that meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. In other words, the air that Saul breathed was that to persecute the church, was to persecute believers, to do all that he could do to stop and to stifle the spread of this news of a resurrected Jesus. And so we see Saul is a fierce enemy of Christ. Saul sets out about in these Early verses of chapter 9, he sets out for Damascus. Damascus is a city that's 155 or 150 miles north, northeast of Jerusalem. It's a city that's outside of the land of Israel, but it's still under Roman rule. And he's going there for the purpose of hunting down Christians, hunting down people who were followers of the way. And while he's on the road to Damascus, The Bible tells us that Paul encountered a bright light from heaven that was brighter than the sun, and it was shining all around him. Now, for Christmas, I was given one of these, you know, one of these really bright flashlights, you know, one of these like million candle, I mean, super duper bright flashlights. I have to be careful that I don't go outside at 1030 when the UPS planes are flying over our house, bringing the cargo or else they might divert their path and try to land in my backyard. It is that bright. I've never turned I've never turned it around for fear that it will Caused me to be blind or my dad here recently my parents have moved here as as many of you know He has his welder, right? And so he's he's but he's got his welder all hooked up and the other day He was out welding and if you're familiar with a welder It emits this incredibly bright light that you have to have wear a, a face mask or else it will burn your eyes And I've wondered about those two illustrations like what was this how bright was this light? It was so bright that it blinded paul I can only imagine that if you try to weld without the mask, you will eventually find yourself in a similar situation like Paul. And it says that he was blinded by this. It seems that appearing before Paul there on that road to Damascus was Jesus, was the resurrected Jesus Christ in all of his glory. It says he's, he, he shone like the sun. In Revelation, chapter one, verse 16, John describes the glorified Jesus Christ. As shining like the sun in his strength. At Jesus transfiguration in Matthew, chapter 17, it says that the face of Jesus shone like the sun. And so it seems that Jesus there has appeared to him in this bright light and then. Christ's voice calls out and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Did Saul think that he was necessarily persecuting Jesus? No, Saul, in his mind, he was only persecuting those who believed in Jesus, who followed Jesus. But Jesus helps us to see that there is such a union between himself and those who follow him that when we are persecuted... Jesus himself is being persecuted. We see that that Paul. He was a fierce enemy of Christ. And it seems like maybe that's why Paul had the tendency to refer to himself as. The worst of the worst, as the chief of sinners. Because Paul came to understand that in his attempt to stifle this unstoppable force. In his attempt to do that, as he dragged fathers and mothers out of their homes, imprisoning them, that in so doing, he was persecuting Jesus. And so Paul says, I am the worst of sinners. You see, it's through this passage, as, as we come to see that Paul was a fierce enemy of Jesus What we see is that God is in the business, in this passage it shows us that God is in the business of saving even the most unlikely and rebellious people. That God's saving grace, his mercy is not limited to only those who have maybe faltered just a little bit, right? Or or maybe His. sometimes we we think, well, well, God can save that person because really they're not that bad, right They're they're still kind of on the on the realm of being savable, But it seems here that as Paul tells us that God saved him so that he can serve as, as an example to the rest of us. To believe that that person. Who was the first person, the first face to come to your mind when I asked you. Who do you fear will never come to know the Lord? that God is able. That God is able. To draw them to them himself. That God is able to soften their hard hearts. And if that's true. Then we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't give up hope. Because God was able to save. A fierce enemy of Christ, and then next we see God's sovereignly saved Paul by grace. That God sovereignly saved Paul by grace. It was at this moment on the Damascus Road that Saul realized the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Right here, that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, appeared before him in this bright light. Saul. I guess we might say Saul had a come to Jesus moment, didn't he? He realized that Jesus indeed is alive, and Saul is coming to realize that his raging fury has been nothing more than a futile attempt to stifle this unstoppable force. I think if we had met Paul as he's leaving Jerusalem on his way to Damascus to to haul off, to, to hunt down these. Believers, I think if we had met him and told him that before he reached Damascus, he would become a believer, uh, Paul probably would have turned his ridicule our direction. He probably would have laughed, maybe even spit in our face and said, there's not a chance that that would ever happen to me. But we see that in the narrative of Acts chapter 9, the persecutor is going to become the proclaimer. And that Paul is even going to find himself under the threat of persecution. Why? Because he's believed in Jesus. And all of this is because of the work, the sovereign work of God's grace in his heart. Let's go ahead and read, shall we, in chapter 9, starting, uh, continuing on then in verse 6 follow along with me as I read and so Jesus there at the end of verse 5 he says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting he replied he gives Paul these instructions now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do the men traveling with Saul they stood there speechless they heard the sound but they did not see anyone and so Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing so they led him by the hand into Damascus. Imagine this. Imagine like imagine how low God brings Paul. This great persecutor of the church, this powerful man who's in charge. God strikes him with blindness and now he has to be led by the hand like a child. Church, sometimes God has to humble us, doesn't he? To soften our hearts. And sometimes I, it, it, it seems that when we when we have those conversations with our friends and our family members whose hearts are hard and they're going through a difficult time. Maybe we should right and, and sometimes we want to pray, Lord, remove this from them as if we're doing them a favor. But maybe this is the very means in which God is going to humble them. And, and, and bring them to that point of desperation in their life? And maybe instead of our prayer being, God, would, would you remove this from, that, from my unsafe friend or family members? Instead, maybe our prayer should be, God, use this to soften their heart toward you. So we see Paul, he's being led like a child down the road the rest of the way to Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a a a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to Ananias to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many report about this man, Saul, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he he must suffer for my name. And so then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said. Brother, Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. What do we see here? We see God's sovereign activity in Saul's life. Right? If anyone has experienced God's sovereignty and grace, Paul would say, I have, I did. By reading this testimony of Saul's conversion, you come to understand that Paul was completely undeserving of God's mercy and grace, that he was that fierce enemy against Jesus Christ. He was the persecutor of the church and and and. Paul says, I didn't deserve any of this. He understands this. And so it makes sense then while why so often in Paul's writings, he refers to the grace and the mercy of God. And how God is sovereign over it all. You see, from Paul's vantage point, there was not a chance. That he would reverse course and follow Jesus. Let alone become an important missionary to the early church. Paul was not in the least curious about Christianity. In fact, Paul had never even been invited to a church roller skating party. He hadn't attended any seeker ser- he hadn't attended any seeker friendly church services. He wasn't warming up to the idea of following Jesus. He hadn't been to a backpack giveaway. There was nothing in Paul's heart that was friendly toward the friend of sinners. And yet God steps in. And maybe that's what God has in mind for your hard hearted family member or friend. See, there are times when we try to measure up a, a non believer's life based on how moral their way of life might be or whether or not they're showing helpful signs of moving toward believing, or whether or not they are responding positively to our invitation to our church events, or whether or not they show up for a youth group because we send a text message to them, right? Sometimes, I think we all can admit, this can be helpful and encouraging when they do respond in a positive way. But at the same time, when we fail to see visible signs of a non-believer making positive progress toward believing... We do grow frustrated. We do grow discouraged, don't we? We wonder if our prayers are ever being heard or if God's grace is sufficient for them. This account here in Acts chapter nine, it reminds us we need to be careful to not measure the likelihood of a of a person's salvation based on the outward spiritual activity or their moral life, or their political affiliation, or their church participation, or their openness to the gospel. We need to be careful that we, that we don't measure or that we think, well, well, because they're not doing this, then, then they'll never come to know Jesus Christ. You see, Paul wasn't doing any of that, any of those activities that we would say, oh, they're making progress. Instead, we should measure the likelihood of a person coming to know Jesus. Jesus Christ, based on God's sovereignty and grace. And that we need to remember that God is in the business. Of converting those. Whom we believe. Are unconvertible. You see, Jesus chose Paul. A long time before Paul chose Jesus and it's here that we need to remind ourselves that that God's that God's sovereignty and his grace gave Paul this dramatic turnaround and in fact we we, we know then that like we see there in Acts chapter 9 it was such a dramatic turnaround that Ananias is questioning God and saying well wait a second I've heard about this guy by the name of Saul And I don't really like him too much. But Ananias, out of trusting the Lord, out of obedience, he shows up to the house and how does he refer to Paul? Brother. Brother. See, we're reminded that this example of Paul is for us. To give us hope for our loved ones, for our family members, for our neighbors. Whose hearts are hard to the Lord right now. And to believe that God is able. To save them. See, Peter tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with you. Not wanting Anyone to perish. But everyone. To come to repentance. And then finally. What do we see happen? We see that we see that Paul then became this faithful servant of Christ. In the church. Right, We, we, we have someone who at the beginning of the chapter is breathing out murderous threats. And now the chapter concludes with Paul now going and telling other people that Jesus is indeed alive and he's willing to, he's willing to put himself in that point where he's no longer the persecutor, but now he's the persecuted. So much so that he's, he's fearing for his life. They let him down outside the city walls in a basket. I mean. Think about that early elevator system, right? Don't let go, guys. (laughs) I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter. You can read it on your own. But what we see is this chapter concludes with these wonderful, hope filled words of how God has dramatically changed Saul's life, where the persecutor becomes the preacher. Where the enemy now is known as a brother, where the opponent is the bold witness, and even where the one who saw himself as a hunter of Christians is willing to identify himself as such and be hunted by those. Still stand opposed to Christ. I think it's one important note that I don't want to neglect as we acknowledge Paul's testimony. But I think we also have to understand that there are a lot of similarities between Paul's life and Stephen's life. You might remember again we were first introduced to Paul at Stephen's stoning, back in chapter seven. Right, that's where we come to uh, we, we, we learn of this name Saul. We also know that Stephen, in that chapter, he was known as one of the first deacons. And what's a deacon? A deacon is a faithful servant of Christ. And where Stephen was faithful in his serving of of Jesus and the church to the point of death. And and if you make a comparison between these two men's lives, what you see is that both Paul and and Stephen saw Jesus in his glory. That both Paul and Stephen, they preached and they ministered to the same Hellenistic Jews. To the same category of people. We see that both Paul and Stephen spoke with power and authority. How both Paul and Stephen, they, they had a way of presenting convincing evidence. Where both of them, it's detailed how both of them, they confounded, they frustrated their opponents. Where their opponents in these discussions, in these arguments, they didn't, have any, they didn't have a good rebuttal. Both of them are described as that. Both of them, for both of them, their opponents sought to kill them. For Stephen, he was stoned to death. And for both Paul and Stephen, they would refuse to be silenced it very well might be that Paul was the man God chose to continue the ministry that Stephen had begun. That of a faithful servant to Christ and the church. Because you remember, again, Stephen being that deacon, that servant of the church, how does Paul often refer to himself? A bondservant of Jesus Christ. This comparison, it shows us how these dramatic turn of events in Paul's life, that the one who stood by in agreement to Stephen's death would one day carry on his ministry. You see, sometimes God uses his greatest enemies and turns them into his greatest servants those who stand adamantly opposed to Christ may very well one day serve him to the point of death even. See, church, we might be, right, we, we, we might be tempted now to pray, okay, so here's an example, right? My hard-hearted friend can come to know Jesus Christ, and, and so, Lord, right now, would you appear before them like a bright shining light? Right, that's probably our temptation. Okay, it can happen here. Okay, now, Lord, do something about my friend's heart. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he refers to his conversion as an abnormal birth. In other words, it's it's not normal. It's not likely. And instead, so so Paul, what you notice is Paul doesn't then... Get a, a prayer circle together and say, okay, we're going to pray for this list of names and we're going to pray that Jesus will appear to them like, right, be, be that neon shining light in their in, in their life and that that Jesus will appear to them and change their hearts just like he changed mine. Instead, what does Paul, Paul knows that his experience is incredibly unique. And Paul understands that the task then, because his experience is unique, what The the typical experience of a person coming to know Christ is how? Through a witness. Through you and me. And that's why Paul then gives his entire life. He gives his entire life to telling people about Jesus. Jesus. And God has entrusted us with the responsibility to continue to share the hope of Jesus with others. Even those who adamantly seem to refuse the offer of salvation. Our responsibility. Is to tell people about this risen savior. This week, I had a phone conversation. We're doing a project at our house It requires some HVAC help. And so I called someone who might be able to help me. And this guy owns a HVAC company here, and he's a strong believer. And he uh, and my I'd never spoken to him before. And he's talking to me, and and I, you know, he knew I was a pastor. And so we have a mutual friend, and so we kind of were put in touch with that. And and he said, listen, he said, I'm going to send one of my technicians out to your house to kind of take some measurements and kind of figure out how we're going to solve this problem. He said, I'm going to send one of my technicians to my to your house. He said, but can I ask you to do something? I said, what? He said, give him Jesus. Like When was the last time you had a business owner tell you? (laughs) Give him Jesus. Immediately in my mind, like Here's here's the right here's the right conclusion that I came to. Like this business owner, he wasn't in it for the money or the business. He was in it for Jesus and his way of life was only an avenue that God was using. To give people Jesus. And honestly. I felt like I had to give the guy Jesus. (laughs) So Patrick rolls in in this service truck and we get to talking and we have these conversations. And I tried to give him Jesus. Because someone encouraged me. To give him Jesus. And church, we read this passage. And when we're hesitant to give them Jesus again and again. And again, and we wonder, if, is, is anything ever going to change? We just trust the Lord. And we pray and we live our lives trying to give people Jesus another time. Church, don't give up hope. For the hard hearted sinner. Because if he can save the chief of sinners, then he is fully able to save your loved one, your neighbors, your co workers as well. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray now that your spirit would help us to believe this and out of obedience to live it out. Lord, just help us to give people Jesus. In whose name I pray.